you're tuning in to the Welcome to Motherhood podcast, the series that helps to make motherhood easier, one podcast at a time. I'm your host, Natasha Suttle, mum of four, midwife, educator, terrible housewife, and huge advocate for ditching the mum guilt. Find advice for all your motherhood questions from birth onwards. So here we go, let's get into it. Today, let me tell you the five things I wish someone had told me before I had my first baby. These five things are all things that absolutely caught me off guard and things that I could have prepared me a little bit more if I knew them prior to becoming a new mum. So get ready for five quick fire tips that I hope can also help you. The first tip, babies need to sleep a lot. And I don't mean at night. We all know that they don't sleep enough at night, but I'm talking about during the day. I went into motherhood thinking that my new baby would basically let me know when she was tired, she'd fall asleep, she'd nap, all accordingly, all easily. I was so wrong. When I finally got help at about the two-week mark, I was then educated on this whole wide world of infant sleep and naps and awake times and tired signs and cues. I was 22 years old and this was my first exposure to really looking after babies. And don't worry, I wasn't a midwife then, otherwise I really should have known. But yes, the day sleep issue. Once I was educated on the facts that my new baby should only be awake for between 45 and 90 minutes, and I say 90 minutes at the very max before going for a nap again, otherwise they're going to get overtired, cranky, and actually find it harder to get to sleep. This was game-changing. I then started following this little rule. My daughter was like clockwork. I had just had no idea what I was looking for, so I wasn't spotting the signs. So each day, sleep for many weeks came with, in between sleeps was 60-minute wake-up slot, and then she was off again for more sleep. By learning about this and about the length of time and the tired signs, it really educated me with the tools that I needed to relieve a little stress from my side too. Because she was no longer overtired and cranky and going to sleep, she was really hard to get to sleep. And oh, the crying, (laughs) the crying. Um, Each time I had her up for too long, it was not a fun place to be. So yes, small awake time slots will save tears from you and your baby. Point number two, girl babies, little female infants can get like a mini little period and that's normal. It happened to my first baby and I did set thought she was dying. Some of you might be laughing while you're listening to this because you may have been in the same position. For me, it happened at about two o'clock and as I had absolutely no idea, I'm talking two o'clock in the morning too, I had no idea it was even a thing. I totally freaked out, which was understandable. I thought she was dying and my husband did too and we had this huge panic. Between about day two and day 10, infant girls can get what's often called a false menses. It can absolutely freak people out. doesn't happen to all babies, but you need to know about it in case it happens to yours. For me, it was only once in her nappy, and it's just like a little bit of a um, bloody mucus, probably about the same size as, well, for her, it was about the same size as about an Australian 50-cent piece max in her nappy. It never happened again. Luckily for me, as a stress of seeing it once, I literally was well and truly, oh, never again. I didn't want to see it again. If it goes on for like many nappy changes, I always say get it checked out, but it is definitely a normal hormonal response after birth for many new baby girls to get a bit of like, almost like a mini tiny show for, for want of a better description. On the same hand too, don't stress if it doesn't happen to your daughter. It does only happens in, in some cases and it's completely normal to not have it 
as it is to have had it happen. Out of my three girls, for example, two had it and one didn't. So there you go. Just be mindful because you can get a fright if you didn't know that was coming. My third tip I'm going to part in part with you today is about car seats. And car seats are not something to be purchased lightly. And this is going to sound odd and you were all wondering where I'm going with this. But I'm going into my parent journey, I guess. I knew probably about 5% of the car seat information that I know now, like literally 5%. I'm ashamed to say, but I'm, it's all about being honest. I picked my first car seat based on what it, what looked cool. And that was literally my only consideration. Hey, don't chastise me. I'm just being honest. Four kids later, I've done much, 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 much more research and reading on the topic. I'm a little bit car seat mad. Um, in the awful event of a car accident, that seat you've purchased is potentially the thing that stands between saving your baby's life and reducing the injuries that they sustain. And just do some research before you buy, please. Rear-facing for at least two years is the safest option. And hey, longer if you can. And there's huge amounts of research out there if you wanted to look into rear-facing or extended rear-facing. Have a bit of a look yourself. I managed two and a half years with my last baby, and he is very tall and very large, so it can be done. With my first three, I was pretty much really eager and excited, waiting for the time I could turn them around legally and put them forward-facing. For me in New Zealand with my first kids, that was only one year. So for one year, I turned them around and I was so excited. It was such an exciting day and they were forward-facing. In Australia, for my third, the law was law stated that I could turn her at six months. I chose to wait the year, but otherwise, again, I didn't have the same knowledge that I have now and I wish I'd kept her rear-facing for longer still. I almost thought it was a cool thing to do. You know, it was like, hey, little one, you're now a big girl and you can face the front and see me and I can see you and it's easier to put you in and we're all winning and this is so great. But I was so wrong and I've read more, I've joined more car seat safety groups than you probably care to want to know. And I've also realized the huge increased risks with forward facing. So the benefits of not only rear facing as long as you can, but at least for two years, if you can aim for that, that's awesome. And also the benefits, I want you to look into just getting a, a good, well-rot, highly rated, a good quality safe car seat that can rear face for longer and, and also one that's known to be a safer, stronger option in the horrible situation of a car accident. I look back on the fact that I turned my first three girls forward facing at one year and shudder. Um, I was lucky enough that I, as I've, I never had an accident, it wasn't an issue. I'm going to touch wood wherever I can here. And I'm blessed to be able to say that. So yes, car seats. Do more research than just walking into a baby shop and finding the snazziest one or finding the one that the sales rep says, hey, this is a great deal. This is really cute. You know, you can snap it onto your pram, sold, done. Just do a bit more research. Also do a bit more research than buying a secondhand one that may have been in an accident. Any accident renders a car seat unsafe. So please keep that in mind. It is sometimes a pricey outlay and I do totally get that. But it will be one of, or if not the most important outlay that you actually make in terms of your child's safety in those early days. So just please take note. And if I can encourage you to do a bit more research on the topic, then my job here is done. I'm going to go number four. And on a different note, there is this witching hour that is often, ugh, often more than an hour. Sorry about that. And it's horrible. This period is often referred to as many different things like I hear people band around different terminology for it you hear the terminology witching hour cluster feeding time often people just call it the unsettled time of day people often refer to purple crying 
It's also often when people get online and Google things, does my baby have colic? Does my baby have silent reflux? Is my baby sick? All those things, you're probably nodding, you've probably done it. And those of you with new babies, you've probably Googled at least one of those things while your baby's been screaming their head off and crying at at a certain time of day. Unfortunately, it is usually in an evening, worst time ever. Um, And often your baby will resist settling for a while. They're going to appear hungry, then not satisfied again. And as fast as this period starts, it will end, but it can take a few hours and all is right with the world again. Obviously, if you're concerned your baby's sick, that's different. That's completely different to what I'm referring to. If you're concerned your baby's sick, always seek help. This section isn't to convince you that all long periods of crying are normal and to brush it off and, hey, Tash said it was fine. But it's just instead to open your eyes to the fact that sometimes you have periods of really unsettled crying behavior and it can be okay and part of your baby's normal development and normal growth period. For me, this was always in the evening as I was making dinner. Like, even if I altered my dinner time, I feel like they still knew to cry when I was making dinner. It often meant I was really stressed, emotional, and pretty anxious as it's a horrible to have the sound of your baby so unhappy in your ear for such a length of time. It does make you feel a little bit stir crazy. With my first, I had the ability to stop what I was doing and just try and console her. And lucky for me, her she was very mild and her unsettled time slot was usually pretty short and easy to manage over that dinner period. But once I had more than one baby, it is much, much, much harder to juggle this period. What do I want you to know and do? I just want you to be aware that it can be normal to have these unsettled periods. Be ready and expect some of the day is going to be a bit unsettled. Some parts of the day where your baby may cluster feed, they may appear unsettled. And then after the cycle, they're like, hey, I'm all good now. Life is normal. And that can be really common. Again, though, if you think it's more than that, always seek help or always ask someone because I'm not encouraging you to do nothing. I just want to make you more aware of the fact that there is this normal zone of unsettled periods and that's okay. And it does go away eventually. Trust me, it doesn't last forever. Number five, the last little quick tip of the day that I'm going to share with you on this little episode is that you do not need to bath your newborn baby every day. Some of you are going to be going, oh, that's gross. Of course I do. Others are going to be saying, great, I'm glad someone reassured me because I'm not bathing them every day. New babies can go for days without being bathed and that's okay. We actually encourage in hospital often for new parents not to bathe their babies for a few days after birth just to really allow the goodness that's on their skin to all get in. And also we don't want their temperature dropping because it can drop so easily in those early days with getting in and out of the water as it cools down. I still see so many parents thinking they need to bath their baby immediately after birth and then every day on from then on in for the rest of their lives, but you don't. There's a few reasons for this. Firstly, as I mentioned, there's so much hydration that comes from any vernix left on baby's skin post-birth that can be absorbed in. So that is one of the biggest things to also keep in mind with not wanting to bathe your baby straight away after birth. Also, babies are, as I mentioned, really pretty crappy at regulating their temperatures themselves. So that cold drop, and we know what it's like getting undressed to go in the shower and then coming out and so forth. So they've got the cold drop when they're getting naked, they're going in the bath, and then they're hopping out again. And that's just not ideal every day, especially in cold climates. Another reason, apart from their bum, which you shall wipe a thousand times a day, and where their milk drawer hits, which is behind the ears usually and under the chin and neck, they're generally pretty clean. Again, I have had children with reflux, so I do know that reflux babies aren't always very clean and and they may require a little bit more washing. 
But my advice, give baby a nice warm bath every few days before bed. In between that, just regularly wiping the trouble spots that I mentioned will usually do the trick. And hey, again, I'm not saying Tash said don't bath your baby for weeks. I'm just giving you some information to know why it's, it's not compulsory to do it every day. And don't get me wrong, as with anything, there's always an exception. I feel like life, there's always an exception to everything we do as parents and mothers and just in life in general. If your baby gets dirty, wash them. If your baby's unsettled and bathing them at night helps, then bathe them at night. Also, a warm bath can be a godsend for trapped wind. If your baby's got sore tummy and problems with wind, that warm bath and the warmth on their tummy and their muscles can help relax it and release it. So remember that you may need to bath your baby more often for other reasons, and that's okay. But I don't want you to stress about the daily bathing. As sometimes, I mean, let's be honest, every day you're running on an empty tank sometimes in those early days. And if we can clean one less, one more thing off the agenda, see what I did there with the word clean anyway? If we can clean one more thing off the agenda, then let it be the bath if need be. If it's not needed, don't do it. Carry on with your rest of your evening. So there goes today's five tips that I wish I knew before having my first baby. They may be simple, and some of you will be thinking, I already know this, but at the same time, there'll also be a whole lot of new and expected mums out there listening to this, possibly even taking notes, and also thanking me for sharing some new little tips that they also wish they knew. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Welcome to Motherhood podcast. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when each new episode hits the airwaves. I hope you enjoyed it and can walk away with a few key take-home messages to help you make your motherhood journey that little bit easier. See you next time.